Hello and welcome to the Society of Critical Care Medicine's iCritical Care podcast. I'm your host, Michael Weinstein. Today I have the great pleasure of speaking with Jared Chicharo, MD, about his article, Quality of Communication in the ICU and Surrogate's Understanding of Prognosis, which was published in Critical Care Medicine in March 2015. Dr. Chichar, would you mind introducing yourself, telling us a little bit about yourself and the premise behind this particular study? Sure. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to uh, be talking with you about this article and this work. I'm currently a uh, fellow in the Division of Pulmonary and Critical Care Medicine here at the University of Pittsburgh. I'm in my research fellowship in the Division of Pulmonary, and I'm also a critical care research scholar in the Department of Critical Care Medicine. And I do uh, work on communication and decision-making, and my mentors are uh, Douglas White and Robert Arnold. This particular work, we know from prior studies that it's very important that surrogates in the ICU have an accurate understanding about prognosis for their critically ill loved one. And this is important because misperceptions about prognosis influence treatment decisions. For example, Surrogates who are overly optimistic about their loved one's prognosis have a tendency to be more aggressive with the care decisions that they make. We also have numerous studies that show that these misperceptions about prognosis are really common. And we know that ICUs and hospitals are increasingly relying on subjective ratings of quality and satisfaction by patients and family members to evaluate the quality of different aspects of care that are provided. So our primary goal with this study was to understand whether families' subjective ratings of quality are a valid proxy measure for effective communication about prognosis. Interesting. And so I was wondering about that and where it's explained, I think, a little bit in the background, but perhaps you can develop a little bit more what the hypothesis was and why patients' ratings of quality might actually correlate with accurate depictions of prognosis. Yeah, we have prior work. There's actually a lot of work that shows that patients and families' subjective ratings of quality in the ICU are really high. They tend to be pretty satisfied with the care they received and the communication that they get. But measuring, you know, whether that subjective, those high subjective ratings translate to actual effectiveness of the care that's being delivered is unknown. And you can imagine that that's really hard to measure. You can ask people, but that's subject to bias. We can audio record family meetings, but that's really expensive and it's not really practical to do. Also, you know, if you ask surrogates directly about what their understanding of the prognosis for their loved one, that could be very interpersonally difficult for physicians to initiate, and it could be emotionally difficult for surrogates to be made to, you know, vocalize and and face that at that time. So we thought that if we were able to use surrogates' perception about the quality of prognostic communication as a proxy, then that would be a practical and easy thing to measure. Yeah, I was I was reminded as I was reading this through to a um a pretty recent 
study in uh, JAMA Oncology where they gave kind of optimistic and less optimistic prognoses in a randomized fashion to cancer patients. And of course, the cancer patients felt that the they liked the physicians more who were more optimistic and actually thought they were more compassionate. So I, I was thinking, you know, the quality, the subjective quality of the communication might correlate better with physicians who give better prognoses. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's I think I'm familiar with that study you're you're quoting. There's also some other studies mostly in oncology literature that show similar things when doctors are talking to cancer patients and families about their prognosis or about for instance chemotherapy options. Also, in this study and in other studies, we found that the surrogates who were more highly satisfied with the communication tend to be the ones who are more optimistic. So whether that's sort of their general disposition in life, they're just kind of glass half full people, or if that's the vibe that they're picking up on from the physician, we don't know. Yeah, interesting. So how did you go about performing this study? I understand, was it kind of nested into a larger study that was already performed? Yeah, we have a cohort of 275 ARDS patients who are at high risk of death or severe functional impairment. There are 546 surrogates and the 150 physicians who took care of them. This was a cohort that was corrected across five university hospitals. And it's a relatively sick cohort of ARDS patients. They had about a a 50% chance of death in the hospital or for long-term functional impairment based on their Apache score. And what we have is on day three, as our predictor variables, these surrogates were asked three questions about their perceptions of the quality of communication about prognosis. And they just rated the quality of that communication in these three domains on a 1 to 10 Likert scale. And then as our outcome variable, which was also measured on ICU day three, physicians and surrogates both gave a percent estimate of survival on a 0 to 100 scale. And the outcome we used is if those prognostic estimates were discordant between the physician and the surrogate. And for our definition of discordant, we used a 20% difference. So if the physician said the probability of survival is 50% and the surrogate said that the probability of survival is 80%, we would count that as discordant and sort of a marker for the surrogate not really being on the same page with the physician in terms of prognosis. And we use multi-level logistic regression modeling to assess for an association between those predictors of quality with this outcome of discordance. Yeah. I always thought it was interesting. You, The data was gathered, from what I understood, before actually any... It, it sounds as though in these ICUs, it, they're fairly well-developed and have routine family meetings, perhaps, at day three. And, and this data was collected before those family meetings, from what I understand? That's right. These ICUs have protocols in place where family meeting on ICU day three is standard, what they do. And these variables were actually captured before the family meeting as part of kind of a, almost like a demographic survey. 
I see. So I was wondering as I read it, was that deliberate? Would you prefer to have that time period as your time at which you survey these folks, or would you prefer to have it uh, in a more delayed fashion? That's a really good point because I think, you know, as we know, prognosis, I think especially for physicians in the ICU, gets a little bit easier as time goes on. And so one of the questions is, would the prognostic estimates between the physician and the surrogate, if they were measured further on in the ICU course, would they be closer together or would they be further apart? We, we don't know the answer to that question. I think that ICU day number three is a good time to ask because I think most ICU physicians would say just on sort of face validity that by day three, they feel like they have a general sense of the way things are going. And also because a lot of ICUs do tend to have routine family meetings at that time, it's a reasonable starting point to start thinking about prognosis for both the physician and for the surrogate. Yeah. I mean, I guess I I wondered, one, I think these are probably very well-performing ICUs. and, And while we hope, I think, that Many ICUs have routine family meetings. I think across the country, uh, many of us do still fall short, unfortunately. And so I was certainly pleased to see that the communication ratings were high even prior to a a more structured communication facilitator. But also I wondered if prognostic correlations might be more in line following a family meeting or after or before a family meeting. Yeah, absolutely. Family meetings give great opportunity to talk about prognosis. It's often hard, you know, when we don't know in these family meetings, you know, in this study, we didn't look at exactly what was talked about in these family meetings. And as you know, different family meetings take on different tones and cover different subjects. Sometimes it's just a meet and greet. Sometimes it's a quick check-in. And sometimes it is more of an in-depth talk about you know, where we think uh, things are going and and what the prognosis is going to be. So it was nice for this study that we were able to sort of use a anchoring point before any of those discussion happened for these participants. Yeah, it's an interesting perspective. So what, what would you say your main outcomes were and where does that leave us? Yeah, so our main finding is that Although these subjective ratings of communication are overall really high, discordance or disagreement about prognosis between the surrogate and the physician was present about 64% of the time. And then also, when looking at the modeling that we did, high satisfaction with communication about prognosis was not associated with accurate understanding. So... The main implication of that is that altogether, we have mounting evidence to suggest that we cannot rely on subjective ratings of quality as a proxy measure for effective communication. And I think that has some implications on hospital system levels and potentially on a policy level when we're thinking about how we want to implement subjective ratings of satisfaction and relate those to the quality of care that's actually delivered. Well, that's a really good point. So that, so in many uh, ways, most of the measures we have in terms of patient satisfaction don't really deal so much with the content and the reality of the information transfer, but the subjective ratings. And 
is that really a great measure of quality and, and how can we do better? It sounds as though your point. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's literature on uh, some literature out there on this, and sometimes these subjective quality ratings do go along with the actual effectiveness of the care delivered, but other times they don't. And so that sort of suggests that this notion of quality, you know, is perhaps context dependent. And this idea of surrogate decision makers discussing prognosis with the ICU clinician is one context in particular that their subjective assessment of the quality doesn't seem to be associated with the effectiveness of that communication. And when you sit back and think about it, I think that kind of makes sense for some of the reasons that you mentioned. You know, people come into these situations with their own feelings and their own outlooks on life. And we're also affected by just the general, the general tone of the conversation and what's been said up to that point. So I guess how do we, you know, one, one I could see a, a group of physicians taking away the message that, well, if I portray a worse prognosis, I'm going to get lower satisfaction scores. So how do we train folks to deliver? And I know a lot of people have been working in many ways on this, including I'm sure ourselves. Um, but how do we encourage physicians and healthcare providers in general to provide these difficult messages, but in a way that still would be rated as quality communication and compassion? Yeah, so our data didn't address that question specifically, but it's a great question and one that we've been thinking about. And there is literature out there on the teachback method, which is a way that's been shown to be able to assess misunderstandings. And it's also been shown to be well-liked by patients. And what this entails is after you've delivered a bit of information to someone, you basically have them repeat it back to you. But kind of like I mentioned in the beginning, this type of communication about prognosis in the ICU can be emotionally and interpersonally difficult for both the clinician and for the family. So instead of just simply asking something like, can you repeat back to me what we just talked about, clinicians can consider doing what we call a modified teach-back, which means saying something like, you know, we talked about a lot of medical things here today, and I'm sure you'll want to discuss these things with other family members. What are you going to tell them about what the future may hold for your mom? And this may be a way to offset some of the difficult parts of the conversation and really get a sense of how much they understand what we're communicating and how much on the same page we are. Yeah, I think that's a really great tool, and uh, I think one that I'll incorporate more and more. I really like that idea. Yeah, I guess furthermore, as I think about these notions, well, I guess one, we tend to think about prognosis in terms of you know survival, not survival, and a little bit less in terms of functional outcomes. But even when we talk about functional outcomes and percentages, even one person's 10% might be different from another person's 10%. So a, a person who's fairly optimistic might look at a 10% functional survival as great. That's, you know, that's wonderful. And, and I wonder how, how much we really know about how much that prognostic data really influences surrogates, um, and potentially, 
patient's decision making in um, in in moving forward with different sorts of critical care. Yeah, absolutely, and that and that's a great a great point. And you know, these things and the way we talk about prognosis is interpreted differently by people from different backgrounds. So we really do need more research to develop and empirically test approaches to delivering prognostic information and to other types of information that really promotes shared understanding between physicians and surrogates. Because it really is important that the physician and the surrogate are coming from a place of shared understanding so that they can make treatment decisions together for the patient that are in line with what the patient would want given that particular set of circumstances. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed talking with you about this paper. I think it's an important contribution and you're working with a great group and uh, I know you have a lot more work to do and we certainly look forward to more such studies from you and your team. I don't know if you have any other points that you'd like to share with the audience or, or uh, thoughts that you'd like to convey? I think I would just say that, you know, the real takeaway from this study is that uh, although surrogate decision makers have a really high, um, highly rated perceived quality of communication from their clinician, that's not necessarily enough to mean that they are on the same page with the clinician when it comes to talking about prognosis. So clinicians, if they have that concern, they could think about taking the extra step of just checking in and checking what their understanding is, perhaps using that modified teach-back method so that everyone's starting at the same point when thinking about what the patient would want moving forward. Great, and thank you so much. Uh, really appreciate it. Great. Thank you for having me. I had a, this is a great time. This concludes another edition of the Eye Critical Care Podcast. For the Eye Critical Care Podcast, I'm Dr. Michael Weinstein. Have you listened to SCCM Pod 231 on family presence, evidence versus emotion? Or SCCM Pod 232 on assessing family satisfaction? SCCM wants to know how these Project Dispatch-sponsored podcasts changed or influenced your practice. To provide feedback, contact SCCM's Director of Quality, Lori Harmon, at lharmon at sccm.org. Or to learn more about SCCM's Project Dispatch, visit www.sccm.org slash Project Dispatch. Michael S. Weinstein, M.D., F.A.C.S., F.C.C.P., serves as an associate editor for the Eye Critical Care Podcasts. Dr. Weinstein is associate professor of surgery at Jefferson Medical College in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. He is director of the Surgical ICU and executive medical co-director of the Thomas Jefferson University Hospital Programs for Critical Care. His clinical and academic interests relate to palliative care integration in the intensive care unit medical ethics, diaphragmatic pacing, and spinal cord injury. The iCritical Care podcast is copyrighted material and all rights are reserved. Statements of fact and opinion expressed in this podcast are those of authors and participants and do not imply an opinion on the part of the Society of Critical Care Medicine or its officers or members. To contact the editorial staff of the iCritical Care podcast with questions, comments, or ideas, please email i. Critical care at sccm.org.
or info at sccm.org.